Welcome to Security All In. My name is Sam Curry. Security All In is a show where we try to get to when people went all in on security or when it went all in on them. Could go any number of ways. We try to talk at least ostensibly a little bit about risk management. Sometimes we use a poker motif, but more often not. But anyway, my guest today is Wayman Cummings. And Wayman is with uh, Unisys, wears many hats uh, around threat intel and incident response and a bunch of other stuff. So Wayman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate you having me here. I hope I did justice to introducing you there. There's so much we probably could talk about. But we were introduced by a dear mutual friend, uh, Matt Newfield, who I've known for many years. And uh, I think you work with him now. And I think we spoke uh, just a little while ago, actually, about some of his crazy hair days and your crazy hair days. And uh, I think it was a lot of fun. So you work with Matt. And um, thanks for being on the show. I super appreciate it. Absolutely. Again, thank you for having me here today, and, and Matt is definitely an interesting character to work for. So I think you left out, I probably am responsible for janitorial services as well, but I haven't oh, seen right. it actually in my job description yet, but I'm sure it's there. After this interview, I'm sure that will get added. So maybe we, we should leave Unisys behind for a bit and talk about you and security. When did you first run into security? How old were you? How were you exposed to it? And did you get the bug when you first ran into it? Absolutely. So not going back to the beginning of my involvement with security-related activities, it was when I was in college. I was working on multiple different choices in life. I kept changing a major, changed to CS, started writing code, and realized, wow, this is really hard, and I don't want to do it. Found a program called MIS. There was only a few people of us in there. We were trying to build a website to get a presence out there for our advisor and the head of the department. And he's like, we need more bandwidth. Uh, the network operations for the university wouldn't allow us any additional mm. bandwidth. So we got creative. We thought, let's see if we can find a way to get more bandwidth. We knew which switches we needed to be on. And Wayman saw that the network ops center was right next to a public printing office. So I crawled through the ceiling, moved the cables over. And as I was crawling back, I fell through the drop ceiling, landed on the printer, <laughs> and realized there's probably an easier way to make these systems do what I want that don't require me falling through a ceiling. That's awesome. You were technically hacking at that point. Mm -hmm. So that was the moment where you first clued into security, or was that more CS? Was it like. No, I think it was more the moment that I realized that. Computers had a lot of power, and these systems had a lot of power that could be manipulated for a good cause in this case, so we could have enough bandwidth to get our information out there, or for a malicious cause to steal data. To, you know, I really hadn't at that moment grasped the full complexity of what these systems could do and how they could be manipulated that we've seen kind of grow. This was the late 90s. And now, mm -hmm. 20 plus years later, you know, we've seen the impact and the power of these systems and how they can influence our lives, how they can catastrophically impact our lives. So I think it was a moment of awakening. So you were, you switched to CS, then you sort of found this touch of security. I think you did a master's too, right? Because I think you actually said once that the kibosh got put on doing a PhD, but did you then stick to the CS track or did you formally study InfoSec? 
No, so what I did, so I finished out, I left CS actually and moved into management information systems, which was very loosely defined in mm. 1997. And then afterwards, a few years later, I did go back and obtain my master's from Norwich in information assurance. So looked at more of the holistic, how these security programs should be built, how they should be structured, and most of the intelligence side of the work has been self-taught or just that curiosity that I've had since a child to ask the question, what if? I always wanted to see, can this thing do something it's not designed to do? So a lot of that was self-driven. The degrees were more you know, around the structure of the business, of the operations of security or you know, in the initial point, you know, more of a management approach. So you mentioned as a child, did you get the the bug to understand how things work at an early age? Was that a thing? Or maybe a better way to ask this is, were you staying on the straight and narrow when young, or did you decide to just take things apart? I think from day one, I became a chaotic child. I used to drive my mother insane because anything that she bought me, I took apart. I always wanted to see how it worked, if I could make it work differently. Mm-hmm. And generally, I would say straight and narrow was the opposite of the direction that uh, I kind of followed as a child. So a little bit more on the chaos side. So it sounds like there's a story behind that. Uh, Not just a clear path from taking apart toys to college. What was that path like? It was more around, you know, most kids when they were young, say an eight-year-old, you know, wanted to be a fireman, a policeman, an astronaut. My attributions were more towards leading my own gang. Nice. Was that a disruptive urge or an entrepreneurial urge even? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I always felt that um, if you were in charge of something, you could force everybody to do what you wanted, playing games. If I wanted to play the game I wanted, well, it kind of became who was the alpha to decide how it was. And so Mm -hmm. obviously it evolved from that. But, you know, when (laughs) when we're young, we tend to look at things very binary. Yeah, it's the uh, Star Trek's Kobayashi Maru thing. It's like, well, who set the parameters of this whole thing and breaking them? Mm-hmm. So you were pulled to that. How did you go from that to going to college? Was it an attempt to pursue something specific or was it just the next natural step? Because it seems like if you were super rebellious, you would even question college itself. Absolutely. I started out very passionate, always passionate. You know, whether it was passion for something positive or passion for something negative. So having been kicked out of college, having to get a GED, thinking, well, I'll just join the military, ending up having a back injury that says, no, that's not the path. Mm. And realizing that, you know, I had a choice in life. I could continue on a destructive path or I could try to find a way constructively to change the system from the inside. So started taking classes, slowly but surely filled in those gaps that were left by not taking advantage of the free public education and was able to move on and obtain, you know, the first degree and then subsequently the graduate degree. So as I look at people now, you know, I look at young men and women who are struggling to find their identity, struggling to find their path in life, Mm -hmm. I look back to how I started and I realize that given the the right guidance, you know, the right nudge, 
then maybe we can get them onto a path that leads to actually benefiting society as a whole versus becoming the leader of your own gang. Yeah, and it strikes me there's a touch of the path less traveled a little bit. I think you're into climbing mountains, and I mean that both literally and probably figuratively. That I almost sense that you define yourself a bit by the path you take to achieve it. It's not just, you know, go on this simple, safe path. It's find, find the challenging one, get into the dirty jobs. Is that, is that a fair description? That is about as accurate as it can be. You know, I honestly am unsure of what pushes me towards that, but whether it has to do with a obstacle race or, you know, uh, climbing a mountain, you know, things that are always challenging in my mind. So we look at Spartan races. They have some simple, fun, easy races, but they also have one called the death race. And the death race has been the pinnacle of, I want to do this. And my wife reminds me that more than likely it'll result in another surgery, but that has never been a limiting factor for me that, well, I could get injured. So I find that when we take the path less traveled, and there's, there's certainly a lot of merits to not doing this all the time, there's a lot more reward and a lot more value in what we have at the end of it. So mm-hmm. I'm not 100% certain why, but if I play a video game, I'll go look for whatever is the hardest level just to make it that much more challenging. I think I can relate to that. My wife, I think, would probably agree with you. I've, I've had uh, four or five surgeries in the last four years, mostly around pushing it too hard, like you know, hernia, that kind of thing. But putting aside the whole death race, because that reminded me of a terrible movie called Death Race 2000 years ago that, that had too many good names in a C-level movie. But it strikes me that that's a general life philosophy, right? That you're toughened and made harder by doing these things, or at least... It's almost a leadership thing and setting by example. So when you say that you do everything, including janitorial services for Unisys, it doesn't surprise me. It's the, if it's left on the ground, you're going to pick it up and run with it. Is that fair? Absolutely. I think it, it boils down to the core belief that I have. And that is that chaos moves us forward. Order mm-hmm. is what sustains the change that we created. And that is honestly, I think, how I've lived my life. And unfortunately, it's caused you know, some issues. You know, I've had 25 orthopedic surgeries. I have been injured way too many times and put a lot of stress on my family, especially my wife with having to take care of me because of something foolish I may have done. It's pushed the boundaries of some of the relationships I have. You know, to me, if we cannot ask difficult questions and we cannot be willing to accept difficult questions, how do we ever move forward? And I apply this to every facet of my life. Yeah, I was going to say, we've talked a little bit about the physical and climbing, and, and I don't know if there are other sports as well, but are there mental ways that you challenge yourself? For instance, are there things that you do, of course, education, you've, you've achieved the master's. What's your approach to that and to working with the community? And and do you read a lot? Are there other things that you pursue for mental fortitude? I will read just about anything that I think will challenge me. So I will go and look for someone who may think very different than me and ask them to recommend a book. And the reason behind that is I want to feel uncomfortable in order to make sure that the beliefs that I have, that the approach that I'm taking to leading my organization here are consistent across the board. You know, I think we often get into this habit of, of going, 
well, this is either how we've always done it or this is my way. And we fail to recognize that every single one of us at one point was that rebellious kid who wanted to be successful, wanted to have the opportunity, but always felt like they were pushed back. So I try to listen to those who I don't agree with. I try to talk to those who I don't agree with. Which is very needed right now. I mean, certainly absolutely. Even in the, you know, of course, this is, as we record this, COVID is still very much front and center, as is civil unrest in the country. I get the sense that we need to accept that there's a middle that we can reach and that it's worth having the dialogue, especially when we disagree radically. And I just don't see enough of that today. Unfortunately not. Yeah. We don't all have to agree. We have to come to a point where we can live, not to sound kumbayaish, but in harmony. You know, that is, mm-hmm. that is the balance between chaos and order is finding that kind of harmonic balance there. And we're never going to agree. And if we live in a society where we all agree, we have failed because we forced people to believe one path or another. Yeah, you know, the beach is the most interesting place. It's not on land. It's not at sea generally. But right where they meet is, is the interesting thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we're forged in a sense. So what have you read that's challenging recently? I mean, if I said, hey, most challenging read in the last year or two, what comes to mind? So I would say probably a book that was given to me two years ago now by Cyber Reason called The The Fifth Risk. Oh, it was Michael Lewis. I love that book. Oh, my goodness. So as chaotic as of a life that I live and behaviorally, yeah, I'm a relatively conservative person. The approach that I take towards, you know, fiscal responsibility is much more on the conservative side. I have a wife who is a pediatric physical therapist, so I've always had a passion towards social programs that are supporting those disabled children and families that my wife helps. So I'm kind of, again, just as my behavior has exhibited through my entire life, I don't fit into the square. I don't fit into the circle. Mm-hmm. And I fit into somewhere else, which is where I think a lot of people exist. So when I read books like that, you know, I take a little bit of a pause because it's like, oh, gosh, I don't really agree with everything he's saying, but I need to understand his point of view. I need to understand a person's point of view that looks different than me, that has a different life experience than me. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, every single one of us have had challenges, tragedies. There's something terrible and something wonderful in every single one of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's finding again, and not to be corny, but that harmonic balance of where we try to find the best approach to ensure that everyone has an equal opportunity, has the opportunity to express their ideas, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in life, or you know, within our home. I mean, think I have four children. They couldn't be more different than every color <laughs> spectrum there is. So that definitely helps. Raising daughters is, has been the most challenging thing I've ever done. Wait, four and daughters? Still, you have four daughters? Well, I have two daughters, two daughters and two boys. Fingers crossed that I'll actually survive raising the daughters. <laughs> yeah, I have one daughter and she's wonderful if she's ever listening to this. Uh, but yes, I can relate. But the, yeah, the fifth risk, I was stunned at, at the role the U.S. government plays in ways that we don't really even understand, like with small business loans or the NOAA, of course, was a big theme in there, right? The, the, the Oceanic and, and Atmospheric Administration. 
how do you bring that to security? Maybe we can bring it full circle here a little bit. When you go back into Unisys in mentoring people, in managing, in dealing with operational issues, because I have a feeling you're a, a player coach, not just uh, one or the other. How do you bring that philosophy internally and how do you work with others with it? The first thing that I tell my teams and I try to instill them and it takes them a little while because they've lived in a more totalitarian environment where, mm. you know, the boss says it, you do it. And I told them, I said, look, I do not have all the answers. You who are closest to the problem will generally have a good idea of how to solve it. So I, I want them to speak up and I challenge them to speak up. They've all been told that they can yell, scream, complain, whatever they need to, to make sure that their message is being heard. At the end of the day, everybody's message needs to be heard. So we'll take that type of approach to a challenge that's been presented to us. You know, we're building out a hunt capability. Okay, well, Wayman has a lot of ideas around hunt, but so does James, so does John, so does Chelsea, so does Kate, and on and on and on. You know, I can, I can name off 20 people in my organization that are gonna have an idea. So we'll put those together and we'll start looking. What is the best approach? I'll give them my overall vision for what it is that I have and then allow them to use the creativity of being close to the problem to come up with a solution and then we'll refine it to make sure that it fits with what the company needs. That makes sense. And do you mentor outside of your organization as well? Do you either in the community or academics or among cyber people who are not Unisys? Is that something you, you do much of? I do. That is an area that has become more of a passion for me as I get older. As I mentioned, I didn't start off life as easy as I should have or could have. So I look for young men and women, young individuals within our community who I can have the opportunity to show them a different path than they're on. So I typically will look for people who are behaviorally challenging the system, shall we say. Uh, some are challenging it more than others. They're going against trend, yeah. yeah. They're going against the trend. And try to work with them and show them what it is that they potentially can do. I find that those who are the most passionately against the system can be those who are most passionate to make the system better. It's just giving them the opportunity to express themselves in a way that may be a little different than what we are. You know, a lot of times you will take, take soldiers who have PTSD and they have a bond where they will talk about the challenges they're having. So I kind of look at the trouble I had with the law as a juvenile, being constantly in trouble. And it's not a good thing when the chief of police and your dad have talked a lot and know each other by yeah. first name because of me. So I have a little bit of a connection with them to some extent in that, in that same sense, you know, we didn't go to war together. We didn't do these other things, but we have this bond of, look, I was in trouble all the time too. And when they understand that I didn't live this perfect privileged life, they're like, okay, well maybe I'll listen to him a little bit. So I typically will look for those who are disadvantaged, those who feel that they have no opportunity or no future outside of the element that they're involved in at that time. And 
I wouldn't say it's been successful. I would say that it is a journey. You know, some of these young men I am still talking with, you know, they've moved on to college age and are pursuing different paths. And so we talk, we try to talk at least once a month, you know, every other month to make sure that they know that I'm there, that I'm willing to listen. And when they want to talk, that I'm going to listen and not talk to them. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's in, in essence, it, it's a belief that, it, that anyone can do this, but for being shown the path. So I don't think you went all in on security so much as you always had it in your DNA. I'm going to infer that you believe everybody can do it. They just need to be shown the path. I do. Now, I think there are facets within our security space where one person will be more successful than another. I have a couple of interview questions that I use to try to determine, do they fit better in the engineering structure? Do they fit better mm -hmm. as a analyst? Are they better at you know, intel collection? So these, these questions that I ask will kind of give me an idea of how their mind thinks. And I had a fairly good success rate in determining who's gonna be successful where. So, you know, and these are not magic beans that women grew <laughs> and came up with. This has been learning from the experiences that I've had. I mean, there's a lot of people in our industry who have, you know, helped me grow. Mm -hmm. And some of them that don't even know that they've helped me grow. You know, they were ones that maybe I was in an adversarial position with, but they actually, them pushing me, made me become more effective in how I oversee and operate and, and oversee the security operations for Unisys. I'm hearing a philosophy. In fact, if you ask those questions, if somebody knew them ahead of time, the security one is probably the one who's going to say, well, to hell with your questions and try and break the system as well. <laughs> but honestly, I, I have a little different approach sometimes because I, I genuinely believe if you just knew what I know, then you could be awesome at this. And I mean for anyone. And I think that's a failing on my part because not everybody it's not actually true, but it comes out over and over again. And I hope I don't come across as didactic with it when I'm talking to people. But uh, I only have time really for two more questions. So I could listen to you for hours. But uh, the first question is um, to that young person out there that you haven't had a conversation with yet, either somebody who doesn't know about security or somebody who does and isn't sure if they fit. Do you have any advice for them? I would say if you have a passion for security or you're, if you're interested in it, find someone to reach out to. If it's, I'm hesitant to say, everybody contact me, I'll give you my point of view, because I'm not the answer. It mm -hmm. is getting more people like yourself, like me, who are willing to listen to the ideas of others and listen to what it is that they think they want to do and helping them kind of find that path. You know, if you're curious about security, it's you know, start looking for those who are in the industry doing what you do. So everyone I mentor, I make them do one specific thing first before I'll even really talk to them. I tell them, write what your job is today and write what the job is that is your retirement job. And that means the job you're going to have the day you turn in your retirement papers. And I don't care if you're a drug dealer today, what it is you want to be. And then you start from there and then People like yourself, like me, like others, anyone who wants to mentor, mm -hmm. you look at what does it take to get from that point that they're at today to that retirement job? Because there's education, there's different types of jobs that they should strive for. Yeah, there's a variety. Find, yeah. 
So that is where you start. And if you don't have a mentor, then write it down yourself and look, okay, I want to be a CEO or I want to be the CISO or a CSO or I want to be a director. I want to lead the gang. I don't care. Find a path and find your path to get to your retirement job. Ultimately, we would prefer that you not be a cartel leader, but, you know. <laughs> well, that was your goal originally. I mean, yeah, originally, you had, yeah. You had absolutely. high ambitions. You're just off, you're off the path for a little bit, right? You go back to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I do that and I will, will revisit it each year and we'll change it. So for me, it started out differently. You know, when I first did this for myself was when I graduated college, undergrad. And it was initially, I wanted to be CEO and I had children. I want to be a good analyst, you know, and it's changed. So our life experiences will always change as just as in, well, not just as in the same way that it can change an eight-year-old kid who wanted to lead a gang to a director of security operations. So that's my belief is that no matter where we came from, we can always end up at a better place. We just need more people like myself and like you to help foster this along the way. Yeah, my dad always used to say that if you really want something, doesn't matter what setbacks you've had, you can always do it, always. So I, I had promised only one more question, but I have to ask two because I, I forgot about something and I'm going to bring it back. A mutual friend of ours who asked not to be named, but she, so her name is Safe, said that you are terrible at giving food advice. And I need to hear this story. So, so what happened? And why are you so bad with advice on where to eat and what to eat? Well, I would say that is a very factual statement. I mean, typically... You are bad. You're just, this is not I, a I am. Yeah. Unless it has to do with Mexican food or any flavor of... Cajun food. But I would say that, you know, the, the chaos and, you know, the uh, desire to kind of challenge the system probably does influence some of those food choices. So this, <laughs> this poor individual had uh, chosen to select some more challenging foods for the palate. She chose this. And so, so it's on her head that you gave bad advice, right? Or I provided her the opportunity to fail. So that's okay. definitely on me. And, you know, when you combine shrimp salad and fried pickles and creative craft mm. beers, it's generally a recipe for disaster. Although the Ooh. chaos side said, you know, let's, let's see how she does. Sometimes chaos can push them forward. And I think we've made her a stronger individual today, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine. It must be like a high school volcano experiment in a science fair. But uh, So hopefully it didn't end that badly for her. And if she's listening to this, we are having fun at your expense. And apologies to others who don't know her. But final question is, and I suspect you'll say yes. Uh, so I will try to bring in the poker motif that I so rarely do in the show, even though that was the original intent. It's less about the gambling for me. It's much more about the, the playing with people and the socializing and the risk trade-offs. Would you be up for a security person poker game when, when quarantine and lockdowns are over, maybe even virtually? Would you, would you be up for that at some point? And is that interesting to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I thought it might be. I thought you might be like, yeah, I'll take that. You know, I'll, I'll play the game like I'm driving a stolen car kind of thing. And generally, that is how I play. I have frustrated some of the more seasoned poker players when they're like, why would you do that? And it's like, well, because it is me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Raymond, thank you for being patient with my questions and thank you for joining me. It's been wonderful to talk to you and uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you again for having me on and this opportunity to talk about security.
Excellent. Have a good one. Thanks.